Hello and welcome to episode two of the Alone Podcast. Today is another exciting episode. We have our guest Larry Roberts with us. Um, Larry is an alone veteran of two different seasons, season two and season five. On Vancouver Island for season two, Larry um, went 64 days. And then in Mongolia for season five, he went 41 days. So obviously Larry has a lot of experience and has learned a lot about himself and a lot about life. And um, Larry, I'm very excited to have you on the show today. So thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat for a little while. You bet, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess my first question for you, I, I started off with a with an easy question for Justin. So my first question for you just to get things started on a light note is, are there any mice alive within about a mile of your house? Have you gotten them all taken care of? No, um, I live in the country and uh, I have about 46 acres where I live. I live in uh, central Minnesota, which is uh, about uh, an hour north of Minneapolis. But uh, anyway, I live out in the country and there are cycles with the mice. Uh, it's starting to get fall in my area. It's still really nice out. Um, well, it's fall in everybody's area, but it's starting to get, it's still really nice in my area. But once it starts to get cold, the mice really try to find ways into a warmer environment. So once fall hits, then I'm going to have to be on my game and start setting stuff up. But <laughs> yeah. believe me, uh, I am very aware of how many mice are within like you said, about a square mile radius. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, uh, so I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah, so we're, we're starting to cool down quite a bit as well, and we were asleep the other night, or trying to sleep the other night, and we heard a little mouse scurrying through the ceiling, and, and I think we've gotten two in the house so far, so tis, tis the season, right? Tis the season, and there's always at least two, but usually more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we're afraid of. So, well, so you said you're you're from Minnesota. Um, is is that where you're from? From or is that just where you landed? Can you kind of kind of go no, that's, far that's, back here? Yeah, that's just where I landed. I was uh, born in Oregon, uh, raised mostly on the West Coast, um, Oregon, California, Arizona. Um, I've been to. I lived for a summer in uh, Salt Lake City. Um, so I've been all over the West Coast, and then um, I met my wife in Phoenix in high school. I went in high school. I went to four different high schools in three different states. Um, I think I was in Oregon my freshman year, Idaho for sophomore, and then uh, Arizona for both junior and senior years, but different cities. But anyway, I met my wife about halfway through my senior year at uh, Camelback High School in Phoenix, and we ran away together and went to California. She had already joined the Navy. She was in the delayed entry program. So uh, she went off to boot camp and she's from Minnesota. And anyway, after years of being together, um, you know, starting to raise our kids and stuff, uh, she had a chance to move back to Minnesota. We were in California, Northern and Southern California. And uh, towards the end, we were in Southern California in Oceanside, which is about an hour north of San Diego. And I did not enjoy California. It just was not a fit for me, uh, the particular area I was in. There's certainly beautiful parts of California, but the Southern part where I was at, I just did not enjoy the weather. Uh, a lot of people like sunny and 70 all the time, but I like changes. 
Uh, but anyway, she had a chance to move back to Minnesota, which is where she is from. And uh, once the kids started getting into kindergarten and stuff, um, we both made the decision that would probably be best. And that's, I followed current events pretty quick, uh, closely. And I, you know, the, the stuff in Afghanistan was going on. So we kind of made the decision that it would be best for our family if she got out of the military. And uh, we liked it here. We stayed in this in uh, a suburb of Minneapolis until I uh, started my apprenticeship for an electrician. And well, all the way through my apprenticeship as an electrician. But then once I became a journeyman electrician, then we decided to move out. And, and actually that had been a dream of ours uh, always since we were, you know, we met when we were 17 and uh, always to have a hobby farm was always our dream. So we looked for approximately a year uh, before we found the place that we're at. And we've lived here for about 20 years and we had a hobby farm for, well, until the kids grew up um, until about uh, 10 years ago or not even, no, not 10 years, maybe five years ago, we kind of stopped hobby farming. But then uh, during the hobby farming years, we never had to buy meat for, from the grocery store ever we raised everything uh here but i got to rambling what was your no that that's that's perfect you you just kind of took one through five off the list um so you minnesota's where you're at it sounds like you've been been all over at least the western united states um, i have to ask i i spent some time in arizona so you were in phoenix and where else in arizona did you live mesa Okay, cool. Yeah, so I lived uh, further south. I was in Tucson and and south from there. So it's a beautiful state, but it's very hot. And if you like change, you don't get a whole awful lot of that. <laughs> yeah, but I did enjoy Arizona for me personally better than I liked um, Arizona. Uh, <laughs> I liked Arizona better than I liked California. And actually... Um, the experiences I had, I, so it also, so I was really young. So it also depended on the people that were there. And I remember I had moved from Oregon, which was a very, I mean, I love, I love Oregon. It's a beautiful, beautiful state, but in small towns and it's small towns everywhere, but it was, you know, we were kind of nomads. My parents, you know, I was never stationary, so I never really had roots. So kids kind of look at you funny. Oregon was okay idaho was not very good at all and then i moved to arizona and i remember the very first thing i drove up my parents took me to the school and the very that was the very first time i'd ever seen a carrot top haircut and but anyway i mean it was a bigger school and the kids were really nice and really um just not so clicky as some of the small towns and some of the other places i had gone and Mesa was good. Phoenix was good. And, uh, but it's hot. But then also, uh, one of the few courses that I kind of think was really cool that they made us take in Arizona was, and before you could graduate, was an Arizona history class. And that was normally a freshman class, but I had it when I was a junior. And actually, Arizona has a lot of different bioregions that are very interesting. I mean, you can go clear to Flagstaff for, it's, it's still a dry piney forest, but still you can have a coniferous forest up there, or you can go to, you know, the very Southern part, uh, you know, where it's just absolute desert. And then there's different desert parts where 
you know, as you get closer to Mexico and stuff, it's not just all sand. There's a lot of environment there. And with a just a, I mean, them, if you go in the right time of year, all those cactuses and stuff are blooming. And I don't know, I really like Arizona. It is hotter than hell, but I'll give you that. But it's a it's a beautiful place. Yeah, that's one of those one of those secrets of Arizona is is really what that place looks like during the monsoon and and it's an incredibly nope. beautiful state. If you're listening, don't go there. I don't want to anger my Arizona friends by getting them too bit getting them too too crowded but uh no it's it's a fantastic place and and definitely has a place in my heart for sure um you, you mentioned your parents are kind of nomads was that due to career or you know what can i ask what took all the moves and and the bouncing around my dad was a felon and was uh not a very <laughs> he wasn't able to hold a job for very long so we moved to a lot of different places my dad actually when I was a kid, used to gamble in Las Vegas for a living before they started installing security cameras and stuff. He used to mark cards and he would uh, uh, gamble to make a living. And then uh, um, as the cameras started getting installed, he had to find a different way of making a living. And being a felon, he it was hard for him to find a job. So after the money dried up in Vegas, we had to move around to different places. Just chasing work chasing work and doing whatever he did i haven't my i haven't talked to my dad for quite some time so my early childhood wasn't the greatest as if i can ask you a question on that as, as a child did you understand or know what was happening or were you kind of oblivious to the, no, the situation they told, me, they told me everything that was part of the problem i didn't need to know all that <laughs> i didn't need to know what he was doing Huh. Well, that, I mean, that sounds like a, sounds like there's a, a book or a whole conversation in there somewhere. Um, but we'll, we'll leave that one alone unless you've got anything else you want to share. No, I'm good. Okay. So you, you mentioned as well, you were a, a hobby farmer for a while and something that you and your wife wanted to do. It sounds like from, from the beginning and then you just kind of closed that shop down. What were you, what were you guys focusing on in your farming efforts and and what led you to, to stop we were mainly focusing on raising animals because um and not birthing animals on the farm <laughs> once you start birthing animals it starts getting quite complicated but i mean you could buy a, a young calf steer raise it for you know a year or so and it's going to provide a lot of meat for you and um it's a lot cheaper than buying it in the store and you know what's in it there's no hormone or well unless you put your hormones in it but we never did anything like that but anyway i mean it was just a peaceful kind of you know hobby farming experience thing that we had always wanted to enjoy and our particular area is not for gardening uh in oregon we had a huge garden and so i know how to garden quite well but this particular area is uh part of the saint croix valley so there's rocks and you know it's just brutal but uh we can raise animals quite well and then uh i wanted to have activities for my kids of course and they were very into sports but then also so i have a son and a daughter my son was more into sports my daughter was into sports a little bit but then also they both did 4-H. 
And, uh, you know, they showed pigs and they showed chickens at 4-H and stuff like that. It was just a good way of showing them where the meat is from. And, you know, you, you know, we would take them to the cities and stuff like that when they're with their sporting events or whatever. My daughter's gone to the state fair with her dog. And uh, um, my son went to the state fair with an electrical project that he did. So we experienced some of that. But it's just good to expose them to the country life and things like that and just have real good food and uh so that was our reasoning a little bit with that and then you know it's just enjoyable uh but then as i got older um the kids started growing up and started leaving the house and they're not so interested in doing chores anymore i'm talking after they graduated high school they you know my daughter went to college my son went off to the air force so that left a lot my farm hands left yeah <laughs> to make Long story short. <laughs> so that's why we kind of gave it up. We still do a little bit of gardening. Uh, we have dogs and stuff like that. And, but then we kind of changed our goals in life too. Now that the kids are gone, we do a lot more traveling and it's a lot harder to have animals uh, when you travel. It's just not, it's not fair to your, you know, everybody that you have to ask to take care of them because there's a lot of work involved. Yeah, for sure. You, you mentioned it was, Part of it was having that connection for your kids, and, and I think that is so important, um, so important in a time when you can go to the store, or you can go to wherever and, and get whatever you want, and, and you don't realize what it is or where it came from. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to shoot a deer a few years ago, for example, and my daughter was, I think, three at the time. The oldest was three when that happened, and so she came out into the garage and you know got to watch me processing this deer. and break it down into food and you know she for the longest time and still to this day loves to ask what she's eating and, and learn about where it came from just because she had that one moment of of seeing a, a you know a full animal get broken down and then you know that night be eating some of it for dinner and even at the age of three and now six it seems like it still had an impact on her absolutely my my daughter had a little bit of an epiphany <laughs> epiphany type moment uh, when she was off to college. So my daughter went to college for animal sciences and she uh, had wanted to manage like a farm of some sort. Um, that's not what she does now. She changed kind of what's going on. But anyway, I, th I think she was like in her second year and she called me and kind of out of the blue or whatever. And she started telling me about this class that she was in and a video that she had to watch and it was about processing farm animals and she's and my daughter has helped me just like you said gut deer skin deer processed deer she's helped me you know fish she's done all sorts of stuff we went for my 50th birthday we went um pheasant hunting and you know she can shoot a gun just find anything but she watched that video and, and she called me she's like dad i've never been nauseous ever when anybody's ever processed an animal and i had to walk out of that video and she said dad they don't they don't treat those animals like you do they don't they're not you know respectful but then also just you know take the time and then also also at you know these big farms they don't necessarily ethically dispatch the animal if that makes sense and uh, a lot of people who give hunting a bad rap had no idea how their animals are treated. The, that hamburger that you're buying in the store, that animal has lived in a cage 
whether it's a cow or a chicken or whatever, it's lived in a cage its whole life. It's never, you know, it's just bad. <laughs> so anyway, that was kind of just like you're saying about how your daughter's always remembered that uh, deer processing uh, her whole life. My daughter uh, remembers the fact of the same thing, just years of going out and respecting the animal and processing the animal and knowing where it comes from and knowing where your food comes from and stuff like that and treating it with respect as opposed to just, you know, buying, a, buying it in a grocery store. Yeah. And, you know, even when it comes to beef, for example, this is kind of a, a funny, a funny path we going down, but we've have the opportunity every year to get a little bit of meat from one or two different ranches where we know the rancher and, you know, spend time on their land and everything. And, uh, even though the work isn't mine and I'm not the one, you know, getting up at three or four in the morning and staying out till eight or nine at night and I'm not calving and I'm not, you know, going and rounding up on the range. Uh, it's still just different when you know the person who does that and, and there's a face and an understanding of, of what they go through to, to provide that for us. And I think it's unfortunate that it's so easy for us to lose sight of everything that goes into our lives. It makes it just a little bit too comfortable. For sure. And I think it it's uh, when you get your meat from a local farmer, you're, you know, just like you said, you're not, you're not the one actually raising that, but you know, he did it. And you know that those animals, you know, have a good life for, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. And it's, it's, that's important to me, at least it sounds like it's important right. to you. Um, right. So I guess I'll ask you this, have you been cured of the, of the farming bug or is that going to come back maybe someday or is travel just too comfortable? Um, I, we have kind of bounced around a little bit of the ideas of having just something, something easy. Uh, pigs are easy. Chickens are easy. Um, there's a few things that are easy, but the travel bug is still pretty prevalent. So, I mean, it, it may be in the future, but for right now, I don't see it. We're, we're, I mean, I'm getting a little bit older now. I'm getting tired. I've, I've worked really hard in my life and I enjoy my downtime. For sure. Well, you, you mentioned travel and, and that's something I wanted to talk about. It seems like you and your family are, are gone quite a bit going all over the place. What about travel? Is it that you enjoy and where do you guys like to go? I like to travel because I like to just plain old see new places um, and then also experience different cultures. So overseas travel for me is, you know, it's a pain getting there and everything, but um, I mean, just to see other cultures and to just broaden your horizons and just to, to you know, meet new people outside of your comfort zone is really exciting to me. I, I have... Uh, um, older friends who uh, kind of brag about the fact that they've never left the county or a couple of counties over or whatever. We live pretty close to Canada. They've never been to Canada. I don't know for me. Um, and, and I'll have to credit my wife for this because when I was younger, I was really not interested in overseas travel. I was like, we live in the United States. I've barely seen it. You know, I've seen a lot of the West, but I mean, I've never been to the Grand Canyon, even though I lived in Arizona. Um, so I wanted to see a lot of the United States. Uh, but my wife has always been absolutely fascinated with England. 
And uh, we had an opportunity when we were quite young with our young kids to travel to England for, for quite a while, actually, England and Scotland for at least about three weeks. And that really opened my eyes to overseas travel, the, the, the amount of history and the time that, you know, the history that is overseas is just amazing. And I also love to travel the United States. I recently had a trip, I think it was just last week or maybe a week and a half ago, where uh, we have some very dear friends who live in uh, Virginia. And um, we're driving through and I'm, and they're driving and, I'm, and we're riding in the car and I'm just looking at the street signs for, or not street signs, but uh, highway signs or whatever for like Yorktown and Richmond and things like that. I'm like, wow, you know, I didn't really, you know, I mean, obviously I've heard of Richmond and I just didn't put two and two together that all, all of a sudden I'm right there. And that just, we saw replicates replica of the, I believe it's the Santa Maria, which I believe was um, the name of the, the ship that Christopher Columbus came over on. We, we took a tour of that and just, you know, the, the craftsmanship of the ship. I mean, you're going to see a craftsmanship of a ship in Minnesota, maybe if you go to the Great Lakes or something like that. But I mean, just just being able to experience all that stuff is is really appealing to us. We definitely love the country and we definitely love the outdoors but the, you can all i mean you can also enjoy the cities but then also the different bioregions of different areas you know I, I don't know it's just everything i just love it just getting out and and finding new areas i just it's like like when i was a kid we would go uh, for drives whatever in oregon or where wherever and i even remember as a kid we pass a dirt road and I'd be like, man, I wonder what's down that dirt road. You know, I'm just always wondering what's down that road or what's down that road. And my wife is the same way. Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> that's kind of an illness. You know, I at least <laughs> I look at it as an illness, right? And I'm, I'm sure, well, sure my wife does as well. Illness, yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll be we'll be out doing something, and and you know, whether it's driving through the mountains or whatever, or even on a hike. You know, and there's you just there's always something amazing around that next corner. There's always something, you know, untouched down that road or something that you just have to go check out. <laughs> I think that makes you a better person. I think it makes you a more well-rounded person and it makes it makes you more tolerable of others. Because if you just stick in your own little circle, then you're going to be a certain way. But if you travel and meet other people and it broadens your horizons and um enhances your understanding of other viewpoints in my opinion yeah no and i think that's so important right i think we not to not to get too political or anything but at least in today's day it's so easy to um, be in your own echo chamber right to to hear your own thoughts and to hear your own beliefs and and even if you're not going to change or not looking to change it is so important to just listen to other people and recognize that we're we're all made of the same fiber um right it's a and, it's a very powerful and thing we're all made of the same fiber and yet there are other cultural differences that make certain priorities more in the forefront than others i mean it doesn't have to get political it can be just the way you live like a lot of the europeans they don't have huge grocery stores i mean the, in the big cities they do 
uh, have some stores and stuff like that, you know, decent sized ones, but they are more um, organic. They um, usually shop, you know, a, at least if not once a day, every couple of days and bring home fresh vegetables and fresh stuff. I'll never forget when I tapped from Vancouver Island, uh, being in, in Canada there, the amount of fantastic produce that we were able to get even on Vancouver Island, like, like vine ripened avocados. And I mean, you know, we can get avocados here. I have to go to a Walmart. It's 10 miles away or whatever, unless I want to travel 30, 40 miles, then I can go to a, probably an organic store, but even, you know, which would be quite expensive, but it just seemed like their produce was better than ours, you know, even just in Canada and Vancouver Island, isn't that easy of a place to get to, you know, just, it's just different. Yeah, that that's uh, that sounds that, that's interesting. I, I never would have expected that actually. If you were to tell me that the Vancouver Island is where you got some of your freshest food, I would have would have been surprised by that. So it's it, it is interesting to understand the differences of different cultures. And you know, I've got friends from Europe, and and they've since gone back. And their biggest problem was the lack of sense of community. Right? We we lived in a condo development, condominium development, and there was. I don't know, 150 probably condos in in the development, and we were talking one night, and their biggest challenge was is they have all these people living around them, but they never get to see or talk to them. Where back home, you know, every night the shops and everything would shut down at a certain time, all the stores would close, and everybody would just congregate in the streets and in the square and and with their neighbors in their neighborhood and and have a real strong sense of community. Um, you know, at the expense of business, if you will. And it was, right. it got to the point where they just couldn't do it anymore. And they had to get back to that feeling of belonging and that feeling of, of community. For sure. So we'll, uh, we'll switch gears here a little bit and get into a little bit, I guess, of a loan. Um, you know, one of the things you and I talked about is that you're one of the I don't want to say one of the few, but but definitely not one of the majority uh, when it came to a loan of being more of a traditional person, right? That had a, a nine to five, or I think in your case, it's more of a like four to <laughs> four to whenever the work's done. Um, but, you know, a job and, and a family and, and children, you've got your, you know, your property there. Um, so what was that like? Not really for you, but for your family to have you gone for you know, a total of, of over a hundred days, but over a month and in one case over two months, what was that experience like for them? Yeah, it was pretty tough for my wife. Yeah, actually, actually in Vancouver Island, I was probably gone for closer to three months because you have the orientation beforehand and then the exit afterwards, which orientation in season two wasn't super long. It was only maybe a week but then they kept me for about a week afterwards and I lasted 64 days. So that's two months right there. So it's gotta be at least two and a half months. And, um, Mongolia, they kept us there. So we went a bit earlier. We had more of a two week, at least orientation. Um, and then it, I had at least eight to 10 days, um, after I tapped out. And so, and that was 40 some odd days. So that was about a month and a half. So, um, 
It was quite difficult for my wife. I actually have a YouTube channel, just really tiny YouTube channel. But anyway, I did an interview with my wife from uh, folks, questions and stuff. But she, we had no contact. Um, she was living, you know, the kids were gone. My daughter was in college and my son was, uh, my son was back home, I think, from the Air Force, if I remember correctly, for Vancouver Island. But, I mean... She had basically what they told her is no news is good news. So your husband isn't hurt. He isn't whatever, unless we contact you. But I was, I was in a kind of a bad place uh, mentally when I left for Vancouver Island. Uh, my job was um, very stressful and I really had kind of lost. So my kids had left. I was empty nester and, uh, I'd kind of lost my sight or my purpose in life and alone for me was going to be a chance to uh, just maybe reflect on life, whatever I didn't, you know, whatever, and also provide better for my family. But like I said, I was in a dark place and my wife still gives me crap about this, but I hugged her when I was leaving and I said, you know, this is goodbye. I don't know if I'm coming back. And it sounds kind of dramatic, but that's the place I was at. And I only had season one to go off of. And they kind of made it sound like, you know, the bears were pretty bad and, you know, whatever. And I just was not going to put take any gruff from a bear. And I figured I'd probably get eaten by a bear or starved to death. And then uh, it turns out there were no bears on my site. And I didn't, uh, my guts... <laughs> I wasn't quite mentally as strong as I thought I was. I wasn't able to completely starve to death. But, <laughs> but uh, telling my wife goodbye, um, she brings it up. Yeah, she doesn't bring it up quite as much as she used to. But she's like, "You son of a gun, you, <laughs> you were." <laughs> anyway, so it was tough. On it was really tough. And then I... when I go, go ahead. ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. I was say I, I I can only imagine, and you know, with a with a departure like that, I'm surprised that you had the opportunity to go for season five. Well, I <laughs> I made it up to her by taking her on a Viking river cruise, and I don't know if you are familiar with a Viking river cruise, but they're pretty uh, extravagant, and uh, she uh, sort of forgive forgave me for that. And of course, when I say I take her, it's both of our money, so it's not like I took her as she's like you need you know not really you need to but could you please do this for me and i'm like heck yeah i can you know let's go let's go be pampered and stuff and but then um yeah when i was able so i was still in a bad place after season two because i came in second and i was really hard on myself um now i realize that i did a pretty good job and i did okay and stuff but at the time i was quite hard on myself that i didn't win and um, so it was still, and then plus, when you're, well, this is just me, this is just my opinion, but when you're out there for that long alone and starving, it changes your psyche, it changes you mentally, and it changes you physically. And it took me a while to come back to society and to come back to this life, which I have, which is really good with my wife and my kids. But after I tapped in Vancouver Island, I was ready to live under a bridge. 
I was ready to just disconnect from society. I thought, you know, how can I get out of this job? How can I get out of whatever? And just the society, the demands of society, whatever, because, and it doesn't really sound rational, probably to most people who say, you know, well, you have to go to work and you have to make a living and that's just part of life. But when you have that type of an experience to where you are stripped down to your basic level of, am I going to eat today? Am I going to have shelter today? And that's it. It strips you down a lot. And so it's hard to come back from that. And then in Mongolia, after, so I was really psyched. I thought I could push myself harder all the way up till launch day. And then that morning, um, it was different than Vancouver Island. They launched us one at a time. They didn't have the funds. And plus, we were way out in the middle of nowhere. So they only had one helicopter. And so they could only launch us one at a time. And some of the folks I didn't know real well, but some of them I did know. And I knew they had pushed themselves. And I knew they were also de dealing with mental trauma from their seasons. And to see them get picked up and launched and then crying and giving us all hugs. And so then I was last to launch, actually. I believe Sam was second to last and I was last to launch. And I was just an absolute mess as they were trying to interview me on the helicopter. I was crying. I knew what I was in for. I, I remembered the pain. I mean, there's, we always keep, or I keep dwelling on the pain, but obviously there was an immense amount of beautiful moments, but the pain, you know, is pretty real. And so I remember just crying like crazy. And as soon as I launched, I mean, I, I did what I was supposed to do, um, you know, built a shelter and gra grabbed all my camera gear and all that stuff. But I knew at that point, there was no way I was going to be able to last as long as I did on Vancouver Island. So I made a pact with myself that I would last at least 30 days because I figure if you can survive for 30 days out in the woods, I mean, I don't care who you are. Um, you, you're doing pretty good. And uh, so I knew I could last for 30 days. And I figured that if I just kept catching food, then it Food was my whole big deal. I mean, if I kept catching food, there's no way I was going to tap. But once the cold weather came in and the fish turned off, um, I just decided that I'd last as long as I could until the food ran out and then I was going to tap in Mongolia. But uh, my wife, uh, or well, um, so Mongolia was more of a healing experience for me. I realized that I had done good on Vancouver Island. I realized I didn't need to push myself as hard as I need as I did in Vancouver Island to for whatever ego reasons or whatever personal reasons that I, you know, whatever had. And uh, I came back, I think, a better person for my wife. And I think that she realized I had healed in Mongolia. And then since then, I, I think I've done a lot better. And uh, but, yeah, it was extremely difficult on my wife. And there are very few people probably in this world that would put up as much with as much crap <laughs> as my wife does. And actually, if you look at some of the folks that have come back from alone, they have ended the relationships, people that have been gone for a while and from various reasons, but some of it has to do with the psyche change that happens when you're out there by yourself. Yeah. It's interesting that you, you mentioned that about the relationships, the, uh, 
you know, when I was trying to, to learn more about you before we you know, sat down to talk, um, you know how Google will kind of suggest a, a search keywords, right? So you type Larry Roberts alone, and then the next word is divorce, right? And I was like, I don't think that's right, but... Um, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was it was one of like the top handful. I'll see if I can get it to pull up again. But it was one of the top handful of suggestions when I, you know, Larry Roberts alone and then divorce, right? And, oh, wow. uh, you know, Justin, when I, when I spoke to Justin a week or two ago, um, not relationally, but, you know, for him, it was kind of the same thing. You know, when he came back from alone and, and, and maybe by extension from other places he'd been in his life, you know, he said to him, he's like, the, the trauma isn't, for him, it wasn't, you know, these scary or these dangerous or these, you know, difficult places. The, the trauma was, was coming back, right? Right. Is where that struggle was, um, and so that's interesting that, that you know that's the same kind of experience for you, and I, I think that makes sense. But maybe it's maybe it's unexpected, you know. It, it it's logical, but it's also unexpected. Yeah, it's uh, it's a real deal <laughs> for sure. So it's, were you uh, were you kind of you know, you mentioned that, that season five was healing for you, and and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask that question. Um, was season five? Were you healing before season five, or when you were in Mongolia? Is is that when you started to be able to accept the sacrifice that you put in on Vancouver and and those things? It wasn't until I was in Mongolia. It wasn't until I was in Mongolia and. Um, talked to some of the other participants and they shared their stories and I shared my story. And once I launched, because I was excited, I, I figured, I mean, I, I realized who I was up against and I realized that I probably, you know, wasn't going to win, but I figured I could do a better showing than even I did the, the first time I went out. But as soon as I launched, I mean, that, that whole launch day from about midday to when I launched was just this traumatic experience, seeing all my friends going, reliving their experiences. And like I said, it's not all bad by any stretch, but I mean, you remember those painful things. I mean, if you, if you touch a stove when it's super hot, you don't remember every time that it made you a great cheeseburger or steak or whatever. You remember the fact that sucked hot that hurt right yeah. so you have a respect for it so we had a respect for this particular experience and we were all some some of the folks were so i'd at least had a few years to kind of process what i had gone through some of the folks from season three and four did not have very long at all and so their experiences were even more fresh than mine and so but anyway after i launched like I said, I realized I wasn't going to be able to last as long as I did. And so once I realized that I wasn't going to be able to do probably what I had done before and that I wasn't going to win. And, you know, I mean, you have hours and hours to think about things. And so I kind of came to terms that it was okay if I just enjoyed this experience. And that's kind of what I said about the day 30. Look, man, if you last 30 days out in the woods, 
with little to no food, then, you know, kudos to you. And that's kind of what I figured to me for myself. And I figured I'd enjoy the experience more, look at the scenery more. And plus Mongolia was a lot more open, uh, uh, kind of a more friendly environment. So I could take walks um, and I could active fish. It, I, it was a river. So I understand rivers more than I do oceans. So, and I mean, the, the scenery was very similar to parts of out West. And I mean, I, I mean, it sounds stupid, but I mean, I would talk to the mountains. They would just, I really enjoyed my experience without pushing myself. I did push myself. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I was hungry. And even one time I remember it rained, uh, the storms would come up like crazy, uh, crazy fast. But anyway, one time it uh, rained and uh, I did not want to get wet. I did not bring the, the proper, I thought it was going to snow. So I didn't really bring proper rain gear. So I stayed inside my shelter for three days. Three days, I didn't eat anything. Three days, all I left my shelter for was go to, to go to the bathroom. And I remember laying in bed with hunger pains and thinking to myself, you remember this, you goofy sucker. This is painful. You don't want to do this. You want to go back to your family. It's okay. You did this before. Just remember. So for me, it's, I know it sounds weird and sadistic maybe, but pain helps me remember certain things. I mean, you remember things through pain. And uh, even though it, you know, it wasn't, I mean, I'm not sadomasochist or anything like that, but I forced myself to stay in that shelter. I wasn't going to get wet and just remember the good things in life and remember just, I don't know, it was just a big healing experience. It's hard to explain. Yeah, I, you know, that's, that's what I was just thinking is like, you know, this is, uh, it's, it's honestly a privilege for you to share this because, you know, as well as I know, but you being the person sharing it, you know that, you know, there's only, there's been what, call it 80 contestants, 70 contestants on the show alone. And of those, you know, really there's an even smaller number that, that make it to, I, I, I can't judge the difficulty, right? But there's quite a few that, that are out pretty early. So there's really right. only a handful of, of people that have been able to successfully put themselves in the same situations and even understand. And so thank you for, for trying and attempting to, to share that because it's, you know, you're right. No one is going to understand that unless you've done it. Right. Um, you know, and you mentioned too, and I'm glad that you, that you kind of, that you went here. So you mentioned in season two, you know, you were in, in a much different spot than you were maybe going into and especially coming out of, of season five. And, you know, in, in the notes that I shared with you, um, you know, I just kind of mentioned it, it. I don't know if it was the producers and the way that they decided to cut your video or cut your, cut your film or or what. But you know, season two, um, you know, there was there was a lot of of struggle and a lot of trial. But season two is is the real reason why I was so excited to to talk to you. You were one of the first people I wanted to speak to because I think that your experience with the show and and the things that we were able to learn. Um, about you, but about being a human um, is one of the most amazing things ever to come come out of alone. And obviously, you know, for you and others, I'm just referencing towards the end of your stay on Vancouver when you 
you kind of had your your breakdown moment and and it seemed like to me at least that from that point you weren't really fighting so much as you were living um can you talk a, about that and and what that was like and and maybe how those moments have continue to shape you today well I gave up after that point. So I had a really bad day on day 55. I, um, the fish were turning off. I wasn't eating much. Um, uh, I mean, I was still eating. Uh, there was, thank goodness there were chanterelle mushrooms everywhere, but I was still eating, but I was crazy hungry. And at that day 55, um, the best way I can describe it is, uh, when I was a kid, I had like 104 temperature one time. And I just remember my head, the only way I can describe it is it just goes zoom, zoom, zoom. So there's just this thing going inside my head. It's like a headache, but only it's just this vibration almost that's going through my head. And the surface pounding like crazy, which normally I enjoy, but I mean, sometimes I just enjoy just silence, right? So it was really, really bad. I was super, super hungry. Uh, my head was going nuts. Um, every time I tried to sleep. So th this had been leading up to this point, but when you're that hungry, you dwell on food. And I was dreaming about food. I, I would like start to dream about, um, you know, like when I come home and visiting with my wife, but then immediately it would be, well, what are we going to have for dinner that night? And are we going to go to the grocery store and blah, 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 blah. And I would wake up about every hour and I was using a sweater, um, a wool uh, pullover type thing for a pillow. And I would have drool all over my pillow. And this went on like, like in Vancouver Island, I was sleeping a lot. As soon as it went, it got dark, I'd go to bed and I wouldn't wake up until it was well light. So that was probably at least 14 hours of sleep inside my shelter or at least staying inside my shelter and so for like 14 hours I, my head was doing that the surf was pounding my stomach was hurting just all this stuff and i literally almost like what you see in the movies where you know the guy actor slaps the woman when she's freaking out i slapped myself and i'm like dude you need i thought i was going insane i literally thought i was gonna i didn't fear dying I felt go I feared going insane. So I thought I was going to go insane. And uh, luckily, luckily, it started to rain, just pitter patter a little bit. And if you've ever spent any time on a tarp, under a tarp during the rain, you know, it makes uh, a certain sound. And for me, that's a very comforting sound. So it comforted me. And I was able to get through the night. And I woke up, um, got out of bed kind of early and decided that I would. So I've been. One of the items, or you can take two items of emergency rations. And I had not eaten any of my emergency rations because, you know, it was only season two. And I was really hard on myself. And I figured that if you eat your emergency rations, it was like cheating. And so, but it, after I'd had that horrible night, I figured I need to eat my emergency rations. And my fish weren't, the fish weren't biting. I, there's so much work involved in an ocean trying to set trot lines or gill net or whatever. I mean, it was brutal work. 
And I just kind of gave up and I'm like, you know what, I'll survive on my emergency rations for as long as I can. And then I'll give up. And I was able to last another, you know, we didn't have that much emergency rations. I mean, like when I was leading up to day 55, when there was, when the fish had turned off, um, well, after day 55, what I would do is I would, if I caught a fish, I would eat it. And if I didn't catch a fish, then I would take some beef jerky, uh, just a barely a handful, just barely enough to put in one palm. And I would put about a quart and a half of water, maybe two quarts of water. And I would boil that for quite some time. And then I would drink the broth. So I'd had about a quart and a half, maybe a quart of jerky broth and that was my dinner for the or that was the only meal i would eat for that entire day and then um the next day i would fill it back up with water again and then i would drink the broth and then eat the meat and then by the third day i usually had something that i had harvested whether that be a fish or a mushroom or whatever because by that time i had to be very careful of how many shellfish i harvested because I had harvested every single shellfish that was edible off of my little horseshoe cove. So all that was leading. So day 55, I kind of broke and, and decided to go ahead and eat a little bit more jerky, like actually even not just the broth, but actually eat a tiny little handful of jerky. And I actually started gaining weight off of a tiny handful of jerky a day instead of just eating the broth. And then by day 64 or whatever, I couldn't handle it anymore. I was like, I'm done. I got to eat something. And that, so, I mean, I had, I, I gave up on, I mean, I wasn't going to leave if I still had food. But once I started rationing it and I could see the end in sight, that's when I broke down and started crying like crazy. And it's still very painful to this day. Thinking about that experience. Yeah thinking about that I had to give up. It's a hopelessness. When you don't have food, it's a hopelessness feeling. It's a hopeless feeling. And there's a lot of people on Facebook and stuff that say, why are you, why are these people not eating the, like they give Dave Nessia the crap a lot. Mm -hmm. And Dave Nessia is one of the toughest competitors and the nicest guys ever. And they're like, well, he had all that fish and yet he was starving to death. I've talked, so they may, <laughs> They have us all talk to a psychologist before we go in and after we're done. And this psychologist has worked with other survival type shows, shows. So she knows the psyche of a person who is starving. And if you go back even and look, look about, you know, the concentration camps or whatever, not to even, you know, equate right. the two. Yep. But they always hoarded food. And we always hoarded food. In every survival show, they all, if you're really, truly survive, surviving, you hoard food because you know what it's like to not be without food. And to just that mental aspect of knowing that you have at least a bite or a morsel of food. We're not, you know, I mean, when you say dinner, I mean, when I say dinner, I mean, you're talking like a little bit of flavored water, but that's better than not having anything. And that's for your psyche, that's good to know that you have that. And then once I realized I didn't, I wasn't going to have any backup, the fish weren't biting. I didn't know how to, I mean, I tried all different fishing techniques, but I mean, if the fish aren't biting, they're not biting. And, uh, 
yeah, once that, I mean, I killed all the mice on my place. I mean, that was Vancouver Island was the Mongolia. I still had mice, you know, that I could have probably trapped, you know, but I mean, Vancouver Island, I harvested everything around my area, everything. And uh, that's a hopeless, hopeless feeling. Well, you, as you're talking, I mean, even <clears throat> it, it's terrifying to me to think of gaining weight on jerky broth and a handful of jerky every other day. I mean, that's kind of a, that, that's a terrifying thought, right? <laughs> to think that your body is hard to, it's hard yeah. to explain. Yeah, no, I, it's, that's a, that's a terrifying thought. And so I guess with this, how is your, how is your perspective on, on, uh, I don't know how to maybe word this correctly, but how is your perspective on the survival world and, and, you know, all of that, how has that changed based on, on what you know now? Well, I'm afraid I've gotten, I, I don't personally in my mind. I'm, I'm afraid I've gotten a little area, I guess. Um, but I don't never, you know, share that or post about it or anything like that, but you can definitely weed out. And this is just social media and all, but also, well, not just social media because I've attended and taught at several schools and I teach my own classes sometimes, but the folks who say they know what they're doing, as opposed to what I've actually done and the folks on the show have actually done, you know, <laughs> there's a little bit of a difference. And, but then also what it's done for me is it's given me absolute confidence in my abilities, not to say that I'm like some sort of expert or, or that I know all this stuff or anything like that, but the knowledge base that I have, um, and you know, anybody who knows or starts to study about wilderness or anything, basically, if, if you're kind of enlightened, you realize that what you know is just a fraction of what's out there. So I know that I only know just a fraction of what out there, but what what's out there, but that fraction I know is valuable and it's, and it's valid. So that has given me an, an, credible amount of confidence to be able to take my family or whatever into the outdoors, but then also just in life in general, because I, I'm pretty, so I'm pretty intense <laughs> for the most part. And I get pretty stressed out with work and stuff like that. But this latest job that I'm on is a very stressful job. It's very complicated, but I can kind of see myself not getting getting as stressed as I used to because especially now it kind of helps that I'm a little bit older a little bit more financially secure but just in general in general life skills I can I know what I've survived and I know what I can do and if the world goes to crap or you know whatever happens you know whatever your mind wants to sit and envision I know that I think I I'll do okay you know, it gives you, I guess what I'm trying to say is it gives you a confidence that very few people, they may have it, but they don't really, really have it, you know, deep down. I mean, you know, a lot of people are skilled in the outdoors survival community and stuff like that. But have you really, really tested it like the folks on Alone have done? 
And I kind of equate it to, I've, I've said this a hundred times about my kids uh, doing sports and practices and stuff. It'd be like if you played a sport, but you only practiced, you only practiced with your teammates, you only practiced with a small group of people. And then we're thrown into, so there's those people, but then there's a few of us that got to practice and then we're thrown immediately into like the Super Bowl. You know, you got to prove and figure, I mean, you were in the big game and you got to figure out how you did. And for me, I'll, I'll never forget that. I, I think the, the last thing that anyone w should call it is, is arrogance, right? And if, if someone does have, have the feeling to call that arrogance, um, I, I think they need to stop and think for a little bit because whatever it is, it, it's earned. And, and, and it's earned in a very difficult manner. Um, you, you kind of alluded to this, but has that feeling of, of confidence and security maybe, has that extended to other parts of your life that don't involve, you know, survival in, in the sense that alone calls it survival? Absolutely. Absolutely. It help, it's helped with my work, uh, for sure. You know, I mean, I... I take my work very seriously. Um, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm okay at what I do, and I realize that everybody makes mistakes, and you can only do the best you can do. And if you do the best you can do, and yet something still goes wrong, it's not the end of the world. We can still handle it. We can still. It gives me. A little more perspective in the overall life experience. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I that makes that makes perfect sense, and um, yeah, it, it's it's all so fascinating. So thank you, thank you for sharing that. And you know, Larry, I think we're gonna start start kind of wrapping up here and, and get you back to the rest of your day. Um, a couple of things I want to just touch on. You mentioned that you've got a, a YouTube channel. Is that something that's still up and running is, are you still you know active with that or is it uh, it's kind of it's a little bit in history i haven't up uploaded any videos for a long time but if you want to see my progression through the bushcraft or survival type um journey that i did um the reason i started my youtube channel was personally for or just for personal reasons what i would do is i would um learn about a bushcraft or survival type skill whether that be through the internet or through a survival book which i have <laughs> quite a few but i would take that skill and i would practice it in my backyard because what i'm looking for are skills that transfer to many different environments so if i can see a plant that has a particular property i don't necessarily need to know that plant's name but if I can look at that plant and realize that it's good for cordage, I can look at those properties in a different plant in a different region and um, utilize that without even you know knowing what it is. So um, if you want to see my progression through bushcraft, it's just, uh, I think it's back to basics or uh, I don't even remember. Just Google Larry Roberts alone and it should, or not Google, but YouTube in the search, Larry Roberts alone and it should pop up. I've got some deer processing videos, fishing videos, uh, bow drill type technique, uh, learning type, mostly uh, skills learning type 
videos. I don't, um, I still check the comments and still answer the comments, but I don't, uh, I don't post too many videos anymore. Cause I've, I think I've got probably over a hundred videos. And then on Instagram, I'm, uh, pretty sure I'm back to basic 64 on Instagram and Twitter or something like that too. <laughs> back to basics or something like that. But I try to, I try to share a little bit lately. It's been more travel as opposed to bushcrafting. Well, you, you've earned that as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's funny whenever, um, I'm sure, you know, my wife and other people think I'm nuts when I watch a movie, uh, you use Jason Bourne for an example, right? When I watch some Jason Bourne movies or some movie where the character has gone through a whole awful lot, I always wish that there'd be another edition in the series that was a full length mill movie of just that person sitting on the beach, enjoying some relaxation. So <laughs> it's good to hear that you were getting your moment to sit on the beach and, and get some relaxation. So that, oh, uh, for sure. we, we've got to change gears, man. I'm kind of a, yeah, we, we, it's a little more posh now that it, I, I don't sleep on logs out in the snow anymore. <laughs> Well, I, I'm glad to hear that. That makes me very happy, and uh, you, you've definitely earned it. So what we'll do is, you know, I'll look for your YouTube, and, and uh, I'll get the, the full name of your channel, and we'll link, and I'll do a little postscript here to just kind of mention where people can go and, and see all of that. Uh, you mentioned that you teach sometimes. I mean, would that be something where someone, do you, you know, post classes on your Facebook or if someone's interested, is, is that something they can get a hold of you for, or is that just, you know, friends and family? How does that work? Oh, for sure. They can get a hold of me. As a matter of fact, I'm having a class uh, in October, um, a lady, and the best way to get a hold of me is Facebook. I have a public play page plus a uh, private page. And uh, usually I do one class a year, a winter class, uh, because Minnesota is kind of known for our, our cold. But uh, I just had a lady contact me, and uh, so I'm going to do a private class uh, for her and some of her family. Um, if you're interested, go ahead and message me on Facebook, like I said, either my public page or my private page. I do have a minimum just because, I mean, I do work for a living, and I don't do this full time. And it's, it's for me, it's not a money-making type proposition. What it is for me is that's my dream job i would love to be able to quit my job and teach skills because it's amazing to watch people learn and the, and to see their faces light up with uh you know being successful at a particular project so i mean i do it more uh well only basically for uh my enjoyment because i i love it but i mean there is a minimum because i have to have there are certain costs involved but anyway uh yeah just message me and I'm pretty sure it's reasonable costs if you check into it too. But anyway, uh, yeah, just message me. But I'm more active on Facebook than basically any other social media outlet. Okay, well, I will. I'll get those linked in there as well. So if anyone's interested, then they can go find those in the show notes and and look you up there. Um, so I guess in wrapping up, is there anything, Larry, that you feel like I've missed or that we've missed um, that you would like to? to speak about or mention or any words of wisdom or anything you just want to share before we wrap up? Well, I just hope that I didn't ramble too much and I hope I answered all your questions. If you have any, uh, something I can, I'll, I'll try really quick to answer them really quick, but otherwise if, uh, if you're happy, no, I'm, I'm happy with it. It's, uh, 
It's, uh, I'm glad you're interested in the show, and I'm glad you're interested in the people's stories outside the show because I believe this show definitely brings out unique and diverse type of uh, populace. <laughs> that that's a that's a very good very good way to put that. Um, no, you know I I appreciate your your openness, and I don't I I. I asked you to come and ramble with me for an hour, so I, I think you have. I think you've delivered wonderfully. So, you know, Larry, thank you again for your time. Thank you for sharing your experiences and, and sharing some very personal things about yourself and about your life. Um, I really appreciate it, and I know that those listening will appreciate that as well. So, again, thank you for your time, and and you have a great day. You bet, man. You too. All right. Take care. Yep. You too. Just want to take a minute and again thank Larry for being so gracious and open with his time today, taking away from his busy schedule and from his family and from his travels to sit down with me for an hour today and really to share his experiences and his stories with all of us. Um, I recognize that it can be difficult to open up about difficult things in your life and, and especially things that others really can't understand completely. I know there's a lot of, of different things that go into that, but really just so grateful for Larry taking the time today to open up and to share this part of his life with us. Um, as we mentioned, Larry has different places you can get a hold of him. He has a YouTube channel, which is just Larry Roberts. Uh, you can find that quite easily. He did mention that he still keeps up to speed with comments and responds to people there. Uh, the best way to get in touch with Larry is going to be through Facebook. You can find him there under Larry Roberts, and um, finally he does have an Instagram account as well, which is Larry Roberts or back to the the number two basics sixty four. So Larry, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your wisdom and your knowledge, and thank you all for listening. Have a great day.